Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Blockware Intelligence Podcast. Today, we've got a very special guest, uh, someone I find very insightful and someone I look for for guidance in a lot of ways. Uh, we've got John Wick here. Uh, John is somebody I met through, uh, I think we met through Twitter spaces, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but yeah, how you doing, John? Hey, Will. Good to be here, man. Glad to be on your podcast. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it, we've kind of been talking about doing this for about uh, two or three weeks now. So I'm glad to finally get you on. Um, just for listeners, if, if I sound a little stuffy, I'm, I'm getting over a cold, so I might sound a little nasally. But uh, yeah, let, let's go ahead and get into it. I think, um, you know, we can kind of start with some like basic, you know, podcast introduction kind of thing. Like, you know, if, you know, whatever you want to say without doxing yourself, obviously kind of, you know, your, your early, uh, you know, background and kind of how you got into trading and, and kind of what things early on in your life were influential in, in terms of leading you to, to trading. Okay, sure. It's a loaded question, but I think we've got 40 minutes here. So um, for those of you that don't know, I have been trading options full-time for 16 years now. Um, it's uh, been my career. I'm super passionate about it. And uh, besides uh, option trading, I've got a passion for uh, both technical analysis and teaching. I love to teach almost as much as I love TA. Um, with that said, how did I get started? Uh, okay, let's start from the beginning. I mean, I was I'm from South Africa originally. Um, my dad was in the diamond industry for a long time. It was kind of a tough love thing to where he wanted me to work. He didn't never gave me anything for free. So um, I ended up immigrating to the States and then going back to Africa and getting my uh, diamond dealer's license uh, from the Oppenheimer Institutes. And I think that's really helped me in my trading because my early years when I was doing that, um, it was about trading diamonds, right? Diamonds had a market that went up and down. Uh, you had to be able to analyze them. Um, it was a bigger risks. I could go ahead and buy a polished diamond or a rough diamond that had more potential reward. Anyways, long story short, I made a good deal of money in the diamond industry, but it wasn't uh, sufficient, you know, going back to South Africa and coming back here and, and doing that. So I found myself quitting that industry, uh, being in the United States and really having no skill set. So I had saved up some money. Um, I was using it, it was dwindling down and I was kind of hopeless. I didn't have a direction to go. Um, and it was kind of, div- di- uh, you know, divine, div- what was that? Div- divine intervention. I found a mentor um, in my gym. Uh, I started working out with him and he ended up being one of the top option traders in the nation with 20 years experience. And uh, at one point he approached me and he asked me if I wanted to uh, join him in this little group that he's opening up. Um, and it was about trading stocks. And um, at the time, Will, I actually didn't even know what a stock was, let alone options. I, I literally like didn't even know that a stock was companies um, right, that have gone public. Um, but the thing is, is, I looked at this guy and I analyzed him and he had the exact lifestyle that I wanted. He had the nice cars, he had the big house, nice wife and everything like that. And I knew that I wanted his lifestyle because it seemed like he made his own time. And um, so I sat down with him, I went to dinner with him and I said to him, listen, man, I'm in a situation where I need to find something to do. So I don't want to just join your group uh, to, to make money. I want you to teach me. He was a lot older than me. And that was the beginning of a best friendship that I made with this guy that ended up being a long-term mentor of mine. Um, that is how I got into options because he was a strictly an option trader. In fact, uh, the first few trades that I ever made wasn't even buying stock. It was actually putting on pure option trades. Um, 
one of the things that drew me to, to options and what he was teaching me was the way that we were able to define risk. Um, he came up to me and he said to me, you know, what would you say if I told you that we could put on a position on stocks where we had unlimited upside potential and a maximum risk of 10%, meaning that if the stocks dropped to zero, all we would lose was 10%. Would you say that was a good deal? And I was like, wait a minute. So you're saying worst case scenario, I lose 10%. Best case scenario, I could double, triple my money. He goes, pretty much. Um, and that's where I got stuck into options. He was much smarter than I. I He doubted that I could learn it, actually. He actually told me that you're probably not going to be able to do this like I'm going to do it. And that kind of lit a fire in me. So um, yeah, every weekend, you know, while my friends were going out. And at the time, I think I was about uh, about 20 years old. So I was actually your, dude, I was actually your age. And um Every single weekend while my friends were going out and partying and drinking and having fun, I was at Barnes and Nobles, Adderall out, uh, reading book after book. Uh, I was a miser, so I didn't want to buy the damn book. So I got thrown out of Barnes and Nobles at you know 10 to 12 o'clock, depending on which Barnes and Nobles I was at. Um, and I was learning everything, right? So I would tape record the dude where we would have conversations. And then I would pick out the words I didn't understand and, and try and find books. Um, so I really started from the ground up and de- developed a love for options itself. And that was the mentor that got me into options. Um, what I didn't have at the time was a real understanding of price action um, as far as the actual spot uh, goes, right? I was into derivatives. And I think that's why I'm such an expert at options is because that was actually my base. Um, then later on, down on the road, um, you know, I ended up splitting up from that guy, starting, you know, doing my own thing. Uh, it's funny because then I, I contacted him like five years later and he had a hedge fund with, you know, uh, $500 million in this hedge fund and told me that I had left at the wrong time. Uh, needless to say, I went on my journey. I found more mentors. My next mentor was the um, VP of Merrill Lynch. Uh, I worked hard to get that mentor, um, but he was my next mentor. And the most distinguishing thing with him was that he didn't trade options at all. And, you know, uh, just learning all this stuff for the past, you know, three or four years, I thought that that was the Mecca that, you know, all the, all the experts, all they did was trade options, right? That was like what everyone wants to kind of get to. Uh, no, this guy was a, was a, was a big manager. Um, uh, he, he, he managed all the big uh, clients from, from Bank of America, and he was strictly a price action trader, uh, value investor. So that's where I got into learning about stocks and price action and kind of, kind of getting more into TA, right? He, he, he really did bless me with a lot of great information. Like he would keep me on his lists that he uh, emailed and corresponded with these most high profile clients, right? So kind of let them know what was happening in the markets. So I got to see how he reacted during like the recession of 2007 and eight. Um, at the time of 2007 and eight, really, it was really cool because I was running a, um, an option strategy that I designed. Um, and what it was doing was basically buying stocks and then buying an insurance for like a year out and then selling calls to offset that insurance. So I think a good place to start here would maybe be explained to the users what a call option and a put option is. I think I saw a lot of those questions on your, on your tweet that you mentioned about this interview. So a call option, guys, what it is, um, if you're buying puts and calls, a call option is basically a bet to the upside, right? Just like you're going to take a leverage bet. It's a derivative of the asset. Uh, so that's how you long an asset, right? In options is you buy call options. 
Um, I'm not really a fan of buying call options because my whole life I've been a seller, a net seller of options. Uh, what I am a fan of is buying put options. What put options are for those listening, and, and you should listen up close because it's my favorite um, aspect of options, is a way to insure yourself, right? Um, and the best way I can explain it is kind of tell you that like, pretend you had a car. Yeah. So if you had a car and and you had this nice car, let's say it was a Corvette or something, and it was your pride and joy, and you bought insurance on this car, and every month you paid off this insurance, right? You paid off the monthly note, you paid off, you paid off the insurance. Um, if you had to wreck that car and total that car, uh, what would your risk be on that investment? Your risk would be, well, not the car, because you know hypothetically, they're going to buy you a new car. So your risk is actually the, the money that you've been paying every month to the insurance. That's what you would lose out if that was an investment. And that's exactly what put options are. The, the car is the stock, so you can have a stock. If a stock dropped to zero and you owned a put option, um, the most you would lose is the money you actually paid for that put option, just like you would pay for insurance on a car. Um, when is the best time to uh, maybe buy put options? Well, if you look at the stock market right now, um, I look at implied volatility. So you've got something like in the stock market called the VIX, and I'm sure we'll get something like this. I think we have uh, different forms of volatility on Bitcoin, but I think it's not implied. I think and we do have implied volatility if you look at derivative, but for the most part, I think uh, they look at historical. Um, but when you want to buy put options or even call options, you want to do it when implied volatility is low. Like for instance, right now, and I'm kind of going off a tangent, jumping everywhere, but on the stock market, the stock market has jumped really, really high. I mean, it just, it just soared. And I've been long in the stock market. I've been loving it. But what I like to do all the time is the higher an asset goes, the cheaper the options get because the lower the volatility gets. Like right now, if you guys are listening to me and you pull up a chart of the VIX, VIX that'll tell you the uh, volatility on the, on the, on the S&P 500. And right now it's very low because the stocks have just been climbing, right? And as they climb, volatility goes down. So now I'm actually looking at maybe I should be buying uh, put options to... You you know, for six to maybe twelve months out, and it's the same thing if you're if you're trading Bitcoin, uh, you know, and you're trying to just trade options on those things. You know, you want to look at that um, implied volatility, and options are cheap when it's low, and they're expensive when it's high. So normally, you want to buy when the VIX is low or volatility is low, and you want to sell when it's high, so you can get a good premium in there. Um, yeah, John, I want to I want to hop in and just cut you off sure. real quick. Sorry, um, yeah. No, no, you could. Um, so I, I was just wondering for, for listeners, how can they utilize options to not necessarily speculate, but perhaps to, you know, do like a, a covered call strategy and generate some yield? Um, you know, like what in what ways can people use options aside from just solely speculating? Sure. So I think uh, you hit the nail on the head. I think that if you're starting off in um, option trading, uh, look, I, I really view uh, buying options, buying call options as um, almost a loser's game. You really have to be good at what you're, what you're, what you're trading. You have to be right. And that's why I've become such a, um, a fundy on, on technical analysis. Um, the reason why, and I, I'll stick with just buying real quick. The reason why you want to not buy uh, call options very often is that to be profitable, um, the, the, the price action actually has to climb faster than the um, option is decaying, than theta is decaying. And that 
that most of the time does not happen. So how can they use it, utilize them uh, proficiently? Um, a covered call is, is a very, very great way to start, whether you're in stocks or in, uh, in Bitcoin. What is a covered call? Well, a covered call is when you own the asset, whether it be a stock or Bitcoin, and you're basically going to pick a level that you don't think that uh, Bitcoin might reach, right? So let's say it's at um, what is it at now? Forty-six thousand. Let's say you don't think that it's going to reach fifty thousand by by the by the end of the month, right? So you can take a bet with your broker, and you can say, "Hey, guess what? I'm going to bet you that it's not going to go above fifty thousand. And if it doesn't go above fifty thousand, you're going to pay me a thousand bucks or whatever the premium is. And that's what selling a call option is. It's taking a bet that the price action won't go above a certain level. And what is just for listeners? What is um, the premium, and, and how would you kind of you know, describe that in like a easy to understand way. Sure. So the premium is, is what you get for taking the bet, right? So if you and I were to, were to take a bet, Will, and and we were just to say, hey, you know what? Let's take a bet. I bet you that Bitcoin doesn't go above fifty thousand. You would say, okay, well, you know, if 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 I'm right, what are you going to pay me? That's the premium. The premium is, is what you get for taking that bet. Because on the other side, if you sell that call option, if you have a covered call option and the asset does go above your strike price, strike price is where you think that it's not going to go above that $50,000 level. So if it does hypothetically go above that $50,000 level, you're going to now have to give your, um, your Bitcoin up at that $50,000 level, even though it might've gone to hypothetically 60,000. So you wouldn't necessarily lose uh lose money, you would lose potential profit. And that's what I love about a covered call is that the risk versus reward profile is pretty good because you really can't lose money. You can just lose potential profit if the asset had to climb higher. So you might say, ah, damn it. I have to give my Bitcoin up at 50K and that's worth 60K. But you know what? You also have to take into account the premium that you got. So if you got $2,000 on that premium, um, you know your cost basis is actually 52,000. Right. So that's the upsides and the downsides of a covered call. There's not much risk, but if you're wrong, um, you know, you, you might have to give your Bitcoin up. This is a good um, trade to make if you uh, see potential weakness in Bitcoin coming up. Right. So you've got some indicators, those are some setups. Uh, like you see my reversal setups, and my topping setups. Those are times where I might consider selling a covered call. Um, but I'll, I'll be honest, when it comes to Bitcoin, especially in a bull market, Will, um, I probably would advise uh, uh, selling covered calls, right? Um, or if you're going to do that, at least wait and make sure that the implied volatility is high enough to where you're getting paid a decent amount for the risk that you're the the you know the risk of losing that potential profit. Got it. And so when you know when you're when you're talking about volatility, there you're basically saying that volatility is cheap, right? When you're talking about um, you know the the volatility is low relative to you know where you think it should be. Um, and so like, how do you, how do you see the options pricing in, in Bitcoin? You know, I think, um, you've, you've told me a few times that you think it's a bit inefficient, at least on, on ledger X, um, and kind of like the, the way they price in the options, um, you know, just kind of talk through your thought process there. And then also like, you know, what has to happen for it to get to the point that you feel comfortable? Is it just a liquidity issue or what? Sure. So, so let me start off by saying that I actually, I absolutely love the people at Ledger X. They treat me great. And they are the only exchange that I've seen that has taken an effort, at least to listen to people like me, to help improve the option market. So now let's talk about the inefficiencies of the option market when it comes to cryptocurrencies. So in stocks, it's not that bad because it closes at 3 p.m. Central Time, 
right? So you can have your, your options on the line closing before 3 p.m. or whatever the case may be. Or if you go to sleep, at least you wake up the next morning kind of un, un, expecting what might happen, right? But in cryptocurrencies, you have a market that runs 24-7. So it's very imperative that you're able to define your risk. And in stocks, you're able to do that. You're actually able to put a stop loss on your options. So if you uh, sell that call, right? Or if you sell a naked call, which is even more risky, right? I won't get into that, but you're able to set a stop loss to define your risk. And options can be extremely risky if you sell them naked. Naked meaning you don't own the asset and you're just trading options like I did with my my original mentor. Um, Cryptocurrencies, for some reason, does not offer stop losses. Uh, and it's a market that runs 24-7. So while you're sleeping, you have this risk that you can't take off the table. So for that is my biggest gripe. And when I was the uh, educator for FTX, when they had an option exchange, um, I kept asking them to change this. Um, so that's one of the biggest flaws is that I'm waiting for an exchange to come and give us stop losses so that I can actually implement my own strategies, which are very, very, um, uh, you know, I, I'm very... Uh, I have to be able to define my risk. That's like my whole sauce and everything that I do. You have to have a good risk versus reward ratio. Um, so that is the, the the biggest problem that I see. Other than that, there's also a problem with the spreads. Um, the spreads are so wide that um, it almost makes it not feasible to trade options because you might get in at a good entry, but getting out, you might, you know, the spreads might be so big that even if you're profitable, you might just break even, uh, you know, in a best case scenario. That I think will get better over time. As the market cap increases, uh, those spreads will get better because more liquidity will come into the market. Um, the other problem that I have, and maybe a lot of people don't know about this, but there's there's actually like in, in stocks, you know, there's the Black Scholes model that they price options. It's how they price options. The problem in cryptocurrency is that uh, a lot of people don't know is that from what I understand and what I've heard from insiders is that every exchange has their own way to calculate uh, how they price options. And if I'm wrong, if any exchanges are listening, please reach out and let me know and I'll, 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 you know, um, I'll clarify that. But from my understanding, it's not a black Scholes model across the board. It's kind of like everyone tries to make up their own pricing model. I remember when I called one of these exchanges, when I was a beta tester for one of these exchanges, I won't mention who it is. And I called him up and I said, listen, this doesn't make sense to me. Like, how are you pricing these options? Nobody could give me an answer. I went all the way up the ladder and the person at the highest point of the ladder says, oh, well, we kind of price them like derivative prices them, which you know is not giving me an answer. So for that reason, because I know I've talked to you a lot and you keep asking me like, okay, well, you know, how does the option market you know, look for, for Bitcoin? And can you analyze that and tell me what's going on? And every time you've asked me that, I've given you kind of a lame answer. And the reason is, is because I have to be passionate about what I'm doing to be able to, to, to be immersed in it. And because I can't trade it, I'm not watching the option market as much. And quite frankly, I can make just as much money on price action alone because Bitcoin is so volatile, right? Catching these moves. Um, so I hope that gives you an answer. I do hope that the option market gets better. Um, I tell you what, I have been working with Zach at Ledger X, and that's why I give them so much credit. We've been talking back and forth, and I've been helping them actually try to try to um, design how to make the stop losses because it is kind of hard, you know, uh, how to execute. What is the trigger on the bid, the mid, or the ask? If it triggers on the bid, you got. Um, uh, I mean, on the ask, you got room for manipulation. So it, it is hard. Uh, but those are the reasons, Will, that I don't I don't touch the option market when it comes to crypto. And I'm very excited whenever we do get those stop losses, because that'll be my entry into um, back into the option market. But for now, 
my option uh, trading is strictly on the SPX. I do it three times a week, and it's how I derive income. Got it. And I, I kind of want to transition to like, you know, kind of give you an opportunity to plug yourself in here too. Um, kind of walk through some of these indicators that you're always posting on Twitter. I think people, you know, are always seeing these arrows. They see like these reversal <laughs> bars, and they don't really know what to make of it. Can you kind of just, I guess, give a one-on-one on on some of these indicators that you've created, and also, you know, how did how did you create them? Did you code them yourself? Yeah. So, so interesting question. And you know what? I, I don't talk about this a lot uh, enough because I just like to teach, man. And um, the indicators really have taken off. Uh, it's probably had probably the most growth out of most of the indicators this last, most companies this last six months. Um, how did I come up with it? Well, these are, are simply strategies, Will, that I've been using for like, I wouldn't say 16 years, but I would say at least the last 10 years. These are my go-to strategies, right? These are, these are setups that have a really high risk versus reward profile. Um, and I came up with them because when I came to Twitter, uh, people started listening to me. I started getting a following. And then I realized that I could probably reach out to some developers that can help me improve uh, the indicators that I use to catch these setups. Um, like, for instance, uh, I have a one indicator that catches the volatility squeezes, which is what you talk about a lot, right? This is what's pretty much been the story of Bitcoin. If you can catch the volatility squeezes, uh, it's, 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 it's pretty much directed everything. Um, I came up with the volatility squeezes. It wasn't me. It was actually John Bollinger, another one of the guys I consider uh, a mentor of mine. He's allowed me to keep an open contact with him. Uh, comes down to Texas and flies his little you know, tail dragger. For those of you that don't know, I, I love planes. I restore them. Um, he was the one that got me into trading volatility. Um, and I used his Bollinger bands to do so. And whenever they pinch together, it gives you an idea that volatility might be building up. Um, the problem Would was- Would you say what Bollinger bands are just for listeners? You know, just the, oh, the sure. basic premise of them. Oh, sure. Yeah. So shoot, I hope, I hope John's listening to him. Um, he's my spirit animal, man. I love that guy. Uh, Bollinger bands uh, measured uh, historical volatility and they're based off of a, a 20 period moving average, which if you guys have Bollinger bands on your screen, if you want to put it up on your chart right now, you'll notice that there's three bands as an upper, a mid and a lower. They're based off of that mid band, which is your 20 period moving average, which is a, a lovely average that I, I like because a lot of times in an uptrend, uh, an asset will pull back to that 20 period moving average and then bounce. Um, but basically it measures historical uh, historical volatility, right? So when things are above the band, you can say that they're, they're overbought. When they're below the band, they're oversold. What people don't realize is the actual statistics is that when a, when a price action is above the bands, um, it means that it's only above the bands around 10% of the time. So it's a very valuable piece of information whenever a price action is above those bands because uh, relatively it's only you know in that situation 10% of the time so it gives you a lot of a, a lot of um uh, ideas of either it's overbought or you've got a really strong asset right and that's for you to kind of decipher um but the thing is is that when i was using the bands it was very hard for me to decipher when these when these volatility squeezes would work and i realized that if i was able to catch them it was very very profitable um, and that's where I started looking into trying to changing uh, the calculations and kind of making it better and getting a better visual, not for others. At this time, it was specifically for myself to help me better identify these setups. So what I did was I started to reach out on Twitter to find developers that could help take what I'm trying to develop in my mind uh, into code and onto a chart. Uh, 
And that's how my indicators got started. They didn't get started because I wanted to sell them. They got started because I wanted a better way to enter my setups. And through that process, I started to share some of my charts. And before you know it, a lot of people asked me for the indicators. I shared them with some people. And eventually I said, you know what? You know, let me try and sell them. And I was a little bit hesitant at first because I know that, you know, if it gets too much uh, adoption that it can kind of skew the setups. But um, I actually talked to Bollinger and a few guys about that. And um, I, I don't think that's going to happen. So then I went forward more and I, I developed some more indicators. Uh, the most popular one being the Alpha Trend. This is the one that I use that Shardy uses. Uh, and that one will show you reversals, tops. And, um, you know, long story short, well, it's just all my setups that I've used in my whole trading career. Um, I told you I love teaching as well. So it's been a really fun uh, experience for me now offering them to people because I also get to uh, answer questions and help people. And it's had a lot of great success. So like if you guys go to um, my handle on Twitter, uh, it's called Trading Alpha, Trading Alpha underscore. And that's that's my company there. You'll see we get really great feedback there. Um, and if you guys want to check the indicators out themselves, uh, it is available directly from the website tradingalpha.io. Uh, go check it out. I do have a bunch of uh, tutorials as well uh, that can really, really help people too. But in a nutshell, Will, uh, I appreciate you helping me plug my indicators and, and that's how they got started and what they do. Got it. So like, you know, I use the, I use the, uh, you know, the, the volatility squeezes. And as you mentioned, I'm, I'm posted them on Twitter a fair amount, but like I quite frankly, I don't understand like what what causes that orange shading. Is it when uh, <laughs> is it when the bands get to like a certain distance from each other, or kind of help me understand that? Sure. So that's I'll, I'll tell you this much. That's part of it, right? So if you had to take uh, you know Bollinger bands and you had to try and quantify uh, the pinches and try to uh, you know identify the squeezes, what you realize is my shading squeezes do not match up with the pinches. Um, that's because I've taken some other proprietary information that I've learned over the years to help me better identify these because um, it really is undervalued. Will, um, you know, along the lines, I got more mentors and, and got connected with more funds. And what I found was, um, you know, there's this cycle analysis um, originally, um, originally uh, uh, laid out by um, Stan Weinstein. So if you guys want to read books by Stan Weinstein, he's a legend, uh, but it goes over cycle analysis where basically you have consolidation um, and then after consolidation, that's your stage one basing. And then you get a stage two uh, uptrend, right? And this is the Mecca of trading. This is what everyone tries to catch is your stage two uptrends. Um, long story short, I, there's probably not enough time in the video to go through this, but those volatility squeezes happen when you're in a stage one basing. And if you get a breakout from those stage one basings, that puts you in a stage two uptrend. And just to give some reference to this, at $9,000 on Bitcoin uh, last year was when we went through our first uh, squeeze breakout that put us into a stage two uptrend. I did tweet it. And that was my best trade that I made all year was getting into that stage two uptrends. And that's exactly what these uh, squeezes do. Another example would be at $30,000 just recently um, when you were talking about um, 
you know, your supply shock, which, you know, we can get to that too, how they kind of synced up. That was really, really cool. The supply shock was happening. So I got the macro view uh, from Will that, you know, overall things are bullish. And then we kind of get squeezes at that $30,000 level where there was consolidation that puts you into a stage two uptrend. So I tweeted that entry from 30,000 that took us all the way up to $50,000. That was a stage two uptrend, right? That's what you're trying to catch. And that's the whole point of um, volatility squeeze breakouts. You know, it's funny, I talked to, um, I have these economists that again, like uh, long story short, there's this is one economist, he's one of the best economists in the world, happened to be my best friend that I grew up with. She's a female, ended up being uh, marrying this guy and then we became best friends. And um, he's, he's one of the guys where he works for one of the, the bigger hedge fund guys around. And this guy plays uh, stage two breakouts, uh, sorry, yeah, stage two uptrends, but not with volatility squeezes. And the first time I explained to him volatility squeezes and brought him through the scenario of how it actually identifies those stage two uptrends better than they do, he was completely shocked. And he said to me, you know, have you, have you told anybody about this? <laughs> and I'd already like mentioned it on Twitter and kind of told people that I said, yeah, I said, I've, I've told people, but I don't think that it's really uh i don't think they get it i don't i don't think they understand the value of it but that that's that's what the squeezes are the the whole point is to catch those stage two uptrends well got it and yeah like you touched on this it was really cool to um kind of see that synergy between what i was describing as a, a supply squeeze and basically had you know from an on-chain perspective this massive reaccumulation of coins right we had this drawdown in may um, where price was kind of trending sideways bearish. But meanwhile, when you looked at um, some of these metrics that I used to identify accumulation, um, you had a complete divergence in those things. Um, and so from my perspective, I was watching for some kind of supply shock effect eventually that would that would come on the market. And at the same time, I think this is actually right around when when we met each other and you were just talking about this. You just, you know, we're going to town on the whole volatility squeeze thing that you were mm-hmm. waiting for. And you're like, yeah, well, I'm waiting. I'm waiting for this, uh, this, this stage two uh, breakout. And I was like, well, hey, like, hold on a second. Like, th- this is kind of <laughs> interesting here because we're both basically talking about, you know, something similar, just using a different language to describe it. Right. And so um, I think it's been really cool to, to see that, um, you know, uh, you know, synergy between the two. And I think this is definitely something that that I'm going to be using uh, moving forward. Like, I think I think for listeners, you know, like. Whenever they hear me talk, I do like these these weekly newsletter overviews. Now, um, it's always it's always from an on chain perspective, but you know these are things that you can use in in combination with each other. And like what you want to look for, and you know as a trader, is something called confluence, right? You you want to see um, you know uh, consistency across multiple, preferably uncorrelated indicators. And if they're all kind of telling you a similar story, then, you know, statistically, the likelihood of, of something like that happening is much higher. Yeah, absolutely. And that was a great moment for me. Um, you know, it's funny. Well, so in, in, in a regular fund, you have economists that the hedge fund hires and they give the economist the macro backdrop, which is the longer term outlook. And then it's up to the hedge fund to either have now technical analysts. A lot of times the, the fund manager will be the technical analyst. He'll look for the price action on the short term to validate the long-term macro. And then boom, that's how a fund works. And that's how I've been getting my information was from economists. Will, I don't know if you realize it, but you're the economist in the, in the crypto world. You're that guy. Because and, and I want to clarify this because I, I do see a lot of people giving you shit 
uh, especially from the uh, the crash that happened. Oh, well, how come you know, on-chain didn't do this? For those of you listening, you're not, you're not looking at the picture right. Will gives you the macro backdrop. It's up to you then to take that macro backdrop and look for shorter-term setups within a bull market, right? It's the same thing as looking at your chart on the weekly timeframe and saying, okay, we're in a bullish market. It's time to look for better setups on a lower time frame. So for those of you guys that follow Will, please don't give him shit. We're so lucky to have this guy, Will. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you another thing. Um, you know, back in the day, the experts were the guys that had the extra information. And we've talked about this in the spaces before. So like, for instance, when you went to a doctor back in the day, uh, you didn't know shit. You rocked up at the doctor, you were scared and he told you exactly what was happening and you followed him word by word and you went home and did, did it T to T, right? Um, because the experts were the people worth extra knowledge. But these days it's changed. Anyone can get that knowledge. You can go on the internet and find anything you want to, you know, find. That's why people go to doctors now. And you know, before the doctor gets a chance to talk, the the, the, the patient is telling him what they have and what they want, and judging the doctor by how he reacts. Right. And um, so then it comes down to the experts aren't the people with the extra knowledge. It's actually the people that can take that information and curate it the best, meaning explaining it to people the best. The doctors that are good now are the ones that have the good bedside manner and can break down what you've read. That's what you are, Will. You curate the information so well and you speak so, so, so elegantly. Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing how your future unfolds. And anyone that's watching you, please don't give Will any shit because like, you know, I, I'm learning from you, Will. Like, as I said, you're like my economist for the crypto world. So, um, so kudos to that. And, 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 you know, just, you know, don't, don't get down by those guys. They just don't understand it. And I'm learning a lot from you. And that's exactly how I'm treating um, the on-chain stuff. So when I jump in those spaces and I'm listening and I'm learning from you guys, uh, that's kind of like what my game plan is, is to try and listen to these uh, supply shock theories and stuff like that. And yes, it's beautiful how that happens. So anytime there's another supply shock coming well in the future, you know, please sure to, uh, uh, you know, dot my line and let me know and we can figure this out with another squeeze. Yeah, for sure. We kind of touched on macro there. I'm just curious, um, you know, your kind of general thoughts about macro and, and I know that's not like your, you know, specific, uh, you know, expertise necessarily, but um, do you have any, any thoughts there? So, so you're asking, because remember, I trade many markets. So you're talking about the uh, crypto market, right? No, just in general, just like global macro. I know. Uh, okay. I'll, I'll word it this way. How do you, how do you think um, global macro, um, you know, sets up a favorable environment for Bitcoin? You know, well, <laughs> um, I'm laughing because I'm trying to decide like how much I want to say here. Because as I said, I talk to economists and they tell me some crazy shit. Um I'm just going to drop it. Like, all the economists that I talk to think that we're in the middle of a cold war right now. Um, so that's kind of their framework of is like looking back at different types of cold wars and wars and kind of seeing how the markets reacted. Um, for instance, uh, back in World War II, we actually had a melt up in the market. Uh, and, and, and believe it or not, equities actually melted up. Uh, which was which was very interesting, and uh, an economist, my my friend, told me about this uh, about eight months ago that he thought that we were going through this environment and that equity should melt up, and um, that's kind of what's happening right now. And we've seen happen, right? And sure, that's that's also because of the Fed. Um, I see the backdrop uh, when I talk to these economists. They all tell me that they think that the best place for money right now, believe it or not, is Bitcoin. Um, when they look at everything, right? Um, fundamentally, we don't know how long uh, equities is going to go up. 
Um, I think I talked about this last night. For me, it's going to be very interesting. I'm waiting for a moment uh, for Bitcoin to really become a risk-off asset. And the only thing stopping it from becoming a risk-off asset is the fact that the volatility is so intense that it's hard for these institutions to wrap their mind around going into the asset. But the fact of the matter is, is that um, you know, if equities do crash uh, and, and, and bonds are crap, um, you know, there might come a moment to where this is the place, this is only the only place to invest. So for a macro backdrop to answer your question, uh, Will, I don't think we've ever been in a better situation for crypto specifically to, to shine. And that's why it's very hard for me to uh, get on board with anybody talking uh, bearish right now. Um, you know, as you know, when we had that crash, I was very lucky to get some stink bids filled. There wasn't big positions, uh, but I still had that position on and I'm playing it as a mean reversion trade. And what are we at right now? Let's see. Uh, what's the price at? Is it about yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's how I'm playing it. Well, I, I think that we're in a good spot. I think macro, it's never been better. I mean, we've had El Salvador, you know, adopt uh, Bitcoin as legal tender. Um, I do think that it was a sell the news event that we had with that crash. Uh, but look how it's reacted since. I mean, it's it's coming back up. So uh, the 200 said, day is held really well, which for me that, that you know, that's kind of like, uh, yes. to me, that's just showing the boomers are are, are feeling confident. Yes, 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 yes. In fact, I've talked talk about this a lot. That's actually my line in the sand for, for keeping me kind of bullish or bearish is things. So right now, I think we're like right on that 200-day moving average. And one of my indicators actually just had a bullish reversal bar today off of the 200-day moving average. So I really think um, that it's not going to be too long till we're back to, you know, 54,000 trying to get over that, get over that hump right there. Yeah. And like this, this whole move um, was pretty much just all like, you know, liquidation cascade, right? Like in the stuff I look at, which I consider basically the, the fundamentals, right? Like you didn't see anything that, that changed in terms of the broader structure of the market. Um, actually, what I found really interesting was you saw whales really increase their holdings uh, on the same day. And then you also saw what I, what I consider as the, the strong hands in the market, uh, their holdings increased as well. You also saw exchange balances go down. So it's like, you know, the, the, the noise is, yeah, we drew down because we had a bunch of leverage in the system that got unwound, right? Like open interest was way up. Uh, funding was was slightly positive. It wasn't insanely positive. So I was a little caught off guard, to be honest, by the move. But it was, you know, it was positive. And then we got um, that reset back down into, you know, negative territory. Um, but yeah, like it, it wasn't any, um, you know, fundamental investors that, that were, you know, panic selling or anything like that. It was just all derivatives. Um, so yeah, like, I think it's just another, you know, just Bitcoin has these, these basically cleansings, right? Like if you look at the chart from, uh, March of 2020 to March of this year, we had like eight, 20% drawdowns. And most of those were just, you know, liquidation, you know, cascades and just leverage wipeouts like we had the other day. So yeah, I think like. Uh, you know, you see a lot of panic on, on Twitter and all this stuff. And like you said, it's, it's just like the perfect opportunity for mean reversion because there's no fundamental reason why the price went down aside from just the fact that, you know, it was just a bunch of forced sellers in the market. 100%, you know, and it, it's just the smart money. Like, as you say, the smart money is accumulating because if you actually look at the situation of what happened, right, if you try and analyze it and, and just be uh, um, problematic about it. So, you had El Salvador and everyone knew that they were going to adopt it as legal tender that day. 
So what you can assume is you probably had a bunch of people getting leveraged longs thinking that this was really going to be, I mean, how long have we waited for a country, a sovereign country to adopt Bitcoin, right? So you can guarantee yourself that there were some people, even some institutions that took some very leveraged longs and said, you know what, this is a good risk versus reward, right? So then you had those guys. And then when it happened, you kind of didn't see the reaction that everyone wanted. Yes, it was climbing up steadily. Um, but obviously somebody took those positions off and went short, right? A big player. And when he went short, you had all those other guys that all were all leveraged long, you know, still expecting a good news event from this. So, I mean, I, that's all it was. I agree with you hundred percent. Nothing in the fundamentals changed. It was a, simply a one-off event where some people were leveraged long because of the uh, uh, El Salvador and they got extremely liquidated because somebody even bigger took the position off and actually went short because they realized that they weren't getting the reaction they wanted. Um, it's pretty cut and dry to me. Uh, and you know, now we're back to where we were, which is in a great macro environment. Uh, in fact, looking at the screen right now, we're still in that zone of the squeeze. Uh, in fact, we might even break, you might even see another shading squeeze here in a couple of days uh, if price action kind of consolidates. So I think we're right back to where we started. And um, you know, um, it just took a little bit of Bitcoin from some people and the smart money accumulated, like you said. Yeah, for sure. And just kind of as, as a final question, do you have any, you know, like long-term Bitcoin thesis aside from you just kind of touched on some of your thoughts on global macro, but as far as like, you know, the, the protocol itself and also like, are you, are you a hardcore, like, you know, Bitcoin maximalist, which I'm just, I'm just curious, you know, I'm not like a crazy Bitcoin maximalist where I'm going to like, you know, curse people out for holding all coins or anything. I'm just kind of curious. Do you have any thoughts there in terms of like, um, you know, other projects that kind of catch your eye or anything? Sure. So, so, you know, I go with probabilities, right? I'm a trader. So to me, I've spent all my years trying to take the emotion out of my decisions and just trying to be logical and, you know, bring it down to the numbers. So for me, it's a probability game. Um, I'm, I'm a little bit too big to play the small caps, right? And I'm not like a pump and dump guy. You, you never see me shilling any, any, any shit coins. Um, so for me, you know, my, my long-term bags are mostly Bitcoin, uh, then it's Ethereum. I've got some Soul. I've got some Matic. Um, but yeah, no, I, 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 you know, but Bitcoin has really taken my heart. I, as I said, I've been trying to be as, as as unemotional as I can through my trading career, and but I can say I've probably never really uh, become as attached as I have to Bitcoin. Right? It's kind of hard to not get attached with the narratives and the and the potentials that it has. Um, so no, I'm not a maximalist. But I do have a huddle bag um, that I look for setups and then I'll add to my huddle bag and I probably won't sell that for five to 10 years. You know, I'm in a situation to where I make enough money to where, and that's a thing, right? Is, is I think that sizing is a big thing for people whenever they buy their huddle bags is, is they can get a little bit greedy and buy positions too big. And if they buy positions too big, then short-term crashes will shake them out. So uh, kind of deviating from your question there, but I, I really think that a big piece of advice for people getting into Bitcoin is just make sure that you size your position appropriately and, and realize that, you know, if it has to go through a 60, 70% drawdown, you know, is your position sizing small enough to where that won't affect your lifestyle? Uh, but to answer your question, well, um, I'm as far as I can be towards being a Bitcoin maximalist, but I'll, I'll always keep my, uh, my identity as a trader, right. And being sensible about it and staying diligent. So. No, yeah, for sure. And like, I'm just curious, do you denominate those altcoin bags in Bitcoin? Cause just from like, you know, I'm just thinking about from a risk perspective, you're always talking about risk, right. Um, it doesn't really make sense to go out and, you know, buy some, 
coin with with higher beta, right? If if it's not going to outperform Bitcoin because you're taking on unnecessary risk, where Bitcoin is way lower risk, um, and you're getting the same return. Do you, do you just denominate in a USD basis, or do you use that that Bitcoin? Well, more so, what I do is I, I like to categorize uh, uh, things um, that have um, uh, what's the word uh, relative strength, right? So, for instance. Um, there will be a period of time when we get into a bull market where I will look to get into some other coins that have higher volatility. Right. Um, and they're probably coins that people would never think that I would trade. Like I've done this on XRP. I've done this on Litecoin, but the whole specific, the whole, the whole reason for it is because uh, with more volatility in the right setup, you can catch much bigger returns and then obviously yield more Bitcoin, you know, once you, once you go back into it. Uh, but that's how I kind of look at it. I look at it from a relative strength basis. Um, so I do have a chart where I'm tracking all the coins and, you know, their movements and, and how well they're doing. Like for instance, right now, obviously Seoul has the most relative strength in the market, right? It's just fuck it. It's just killing everything. Crazy. Right? Yeah. Dude. Yeah. You know, and it's, 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 it's hard because people are looking at that and I know it's like a competitor to, to Ethereum and, and they're looking at that price action they're, and they're thinking, you know, should I buy it now? Is it, is it too high up? And, and, you know, that's the thing, right. And, and that's why I'm all about setups. And, and, and that's why I really, you know, live and die by my indicators because, Right now, if you look at Seoul, it's so high up. The further it gets away from that initial breakout, the the bigger your risk is, right? Um, like, where would you set a stop loss in that chart? <laughs> like, you, you know, um, so there's no so, yeah, structure I, at all. <laughs> there's no structure. We're, we're past that, right? So that's the thing is, and that, that's another reason going back to those stage two breakouts when you can identify because that was a stage two breakout. In fact, let me let me pull it up if you don't mind. Let me just look at that. I bet you went through a through a volatility squeeze that you could have caught that from the very bottom. Let me see real quick here. FTX. Okay. Yep. I believe we had one at $36. <laughs> so um been nice to catch that one. Yeah, that and that was and that was actually the start of the stage two uptrend. And um after stage two, it goes into a stage three basing, which is right before your stage four downtrend. We haven't even seen a stage three basing. So yeah, this has all been a stage two uptrend. Um but yeah, well, to, to answer your question, to get back to your question, uh, I just look at it more so uh, rather than denominating in Bitcoin, I just look at it from a relative strength basis. And that's how I, I decide to rotate, right? Got it. And uh, yeah, I just want to kind of give you an opportunity to, to plug yourself in, um, your indicators, and you know if you have any kind of final thoughts that you wanted to get out. Uh, yeah, sure, man. Um, I'll tell you what, um, I can plug the indicators, but let's first start with, uh, I did get a lot of questions Probably the, the biggest question that I got DM to me is like, what advice would I give to anyone that wants to start uh, trading full time, right? Because I think that's like the hopes of a lot of people. Trading has really taken off uh, since this COVID environment started. And the best advice I can give to people that really want to make this full time is it's, it's really hard. For the first thing you got to do is you really, really have to find a mentor. You really, really have to find a mentor um, get them to like you and get them to give them some of your time. And that happens from you showing the mentors that, um, you know, that you're going to be persistent. You're going to, you, you know, you're not going to give up. You're going to actually take this seriously. Um, the next thing I would say is you're probably not ready to make this a full-time career. Um, 
you, you, you really need a big bag, right? A lot of people get greedy and they think they can turn, you know, $10,000 into a hundred thousand, which might be possible, but what you should really do is you should really have a steady income coming in, uh, save up a lot of money. And once you're at that point, um, you know, then try and make a trade plan and get that mentor. Uh, another big piece of advice that I would give that I see people making mistakes a lot of times is um, there's so many ways to make money in trading, right? It's not just my indicators and my setups. There's hundreds of ways to make money and are completely legitimate ways. Like well, one mentor was an option trader. The other one was just a price action trader. Um, what you need to do is you need to not jump from method to method. I see a lot of people doing this. They'll give up on a strategy or method because they went through one drawdown. Then they'll jump to the next one because they saw someone on Twitter, you know, trading the Wyckoff method or, or whatever it may be. Right. So my biggest advice was, is to just take it slowly. A lot of you guys are young, you know, you've got time on your hands and really learn these methods and give them all a fair chance before you give up on them. Because if you're going to make it a career, that means you found something and you know it back to front and it, it works for you. And if you never give anything a chance, um, you'll never get to that point. So find your find your mentor, make your game plan. The, mo- the two most important things in trading are your position sizing and your stop losses. You have to be able to define your risk um, and you be, have to be able to uh, position your, your, your have your position sizing accordingly. If it's too big, you're going to blow out. If it's too small, you're going to feel like all your trades weren't worthwhile. Um, so that would be my biggest advice uh, going into plugging myself. If you guys haven't followed me already, uh, my Twitter handle is zero hedge underscore. And if you're interested in any of my tools, the volatility the volatility tools are the high time frame suite, the low time frame suite. Again, you can find those at tradingalpha.io. And you can also find our um, our flagship indicator uh, that a lot of the uh, professional traders use on Twitter. It's called the Alpha Trend. That's going to give you all the reversals, all the tops. These are the two indicators that I use to catch that setup from thirty thousand to fifty thousand, and also the setup from nine thousand all the way up to fifty, uh, I think sixty thousand. And then it also called the crash from sixty three thousand dollars down all the way. So um, those will be my two plugs, Will, and thank you for giving me the opportunity to uh, get them out. Yeah, for sure. So uh, I'll just say everybody, you know, go check them out. I use uh, all those indicators on my own uh, trading view account and, um, and I follow them pretty closely. So yeah, thank you so much, John, for coming on. Um, John is somebody that I look up to a lot, um, try to keep in very close contact with because I really value his insights. Uh, and yeah, this was awesome. I'm sure the listeners are going to get a lot out of it. So uh, yeah, thank you so much for coming on, John. Hey, Will, thanks for having me and keep killing it, buddy. Appreciate it. Take care. Take care. Bye.